welcome back to Hopeful Harvest Acres. This is Abby. On today's episode, we are on chapter nine of the Excellent Wife series titled Love, the Wife's Choice. If you would, grab your Bibles, a cup of coffee, and let's jump right in. Welcome back, ladies. So glad that you're joining me today, as always. As we dive into week nine, we're focusing on love, the wife's choice. Let me tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about love. Our culture, however, has a lot to say about love as well. So we're going to learn from the word today, and we're going to seek to apply his truth to our everyday lives. There is truly so much to cover in this chapter. I would have liked to have split this into two separate podcasts, but I'm going to go fast. We're going to conjoin these two sections into one today. So come along with me as we look at the topic of love, the wife's choice. We're going to discuss five biblical principles in regards to the love a wife has for her husband. Number one, we're going to discuss how wives are to love their husbands. This seems like a no-brainer, right? Wives are to love their husbands. But we're actually going to look at four different types of love that are addressed in God's word and what those types of love look like when they are being carried out. Number two, the second biblical principle, we're going to talk about how selfishness hinders love. This is going to be a call to go against our culture. This is going to be a call to go against our natural instincts. We are called to deny ourselves as we seek to love our neighbors and as we put others, specifically talking about today, our husbands, before ourselves. Biblical principle number three that we're going to talk about is how bitterness hinders love. And Martha really does a wonderful job discussing certain signs of bitterness. She has been a biblical counselor for many decades. And so she has had the opportunity to sit down with so many women who they are struggling with bitterness. They may not identify as bitterness at first, but as we will see here shortly, bitterness is definitely a hindrance to loving our husbands in the way that God calls us to. The fourth biblical principle is that fear hinders love. Now, if you continue continue on with me with this series, when we get to chapter 19, we're going to address fear more specifically, but we're briefly going to talk today about how fear hinders love. And then the fifth biblical principle is that wives are to put on love. Again, as we said, we're to love our husbands, simple. And now we have to actually put love on. So we're going to have to pursue love. We're going to have to walk in love. And we're really going to break down the verses found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, so that we can see what does it actually look like to put on love. This is going to have a lot to do with pursuing biblical thoughts and biblical motives that will eventually progress into our actual actions. So lots to talk about today. As we start, we're going to jump into talking about biblical principle number one, wives loving our husbands. As I had said, Love is defined in many different ways when we go to God's word. And so the first type of love that we're going to talk about today is the love known as agape, agape love. This sort of love is a love that gives to others and expects nothing in return. This is not based on feelings. There is no greater example of agape love than what Jesus Christ did. By coming into the world, taking on flesh, setting aside his deity, meaning who he was as God, deserving all glory and honor and worship, and he went to the cross on behalf for you and I, fully man, fully God, set that aside so that we as the created beings could have an intimate intimate personal relationship with God, the creator. This is agape love a love that gives and expects nothing in return. When we look at Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, this is where we see that it's by nothing that we do in and of ourselves that saves us. It is all the work of God and what Jesus accomplished on the Christ. It tells us that it's by faith we have been saved. 
It's through grace, grace of God, the grace of God. None of us can boast in and of ourselves because apart from him, we are dead in our sins, deserving of death. But God, being great in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. And so it is by God's grace, it is God's agape love that brings us to him. The second type of love that we need to be talking about for wives to fully love our husbands, this is known as philandro's love. This is the love of man. This is focusing on love of husband. And this is going to involve tender affection and kindness. An example that Martha uses is that Martha and her husband, they had two daughters of their own. One of their daughters went on to get married, to conceive a child, not only one, but two. So her daughter brought forth twins and she recalls a memory of her husband coming into the nursery after the babies had been brought home. They're each in their own separate crib. And she said she saw her husband go in, standing over those cribs, observing those little twin babies, looking at all of their features and just soaking in the fact that new life had been brought to the earth. And Martha thought, this is such a tender love I have for him to see this man looking at these babies in such a way. And so this is going to be a different type of love than agape love, seeing that that love is giving and expecting nothing. Philandro's love, however, is referring to the tender affection and kindness. The third type of love is a one flesh love. This is specifically regarding love between a man and a woman whenever they come together in a physical union. This is an emotional bond, and this is going to grow out of the revealing of themselves one to another. This involves openness, and this will result in oneness. When we look at Adam and Eve, whenever they were in the Garden of Eden, before the fall had taken place, before they had taken up the tree and they had disobeyed God and all had fallen from its original state, we see that they were naked and they were unashamed. We cannot physically process what this fully would have been like because, well, we are clothed today. We have a biblical call to actually clothe ourselves in a way that we're dressing modestly and we're not exposing certain parts of our bodies because I believe that our nakedness today represents our shame and our fallenness before a holy and righteous God. However, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, that didn't exist. They were totally open. They were totally one in the fact that they had been brought together. They were created for each other by God and their marriage was perfect in every way. We as Christians today, we need to pursue this one flesh love so that we can be a representation to the world around us of what it looks like to love in a way that God has called us to as husbands and wives. The fourth type of love is closest neighbor love. Now, not only are we to love our husbands in a specific way, but we're also called to love our love our neighbors as ourselves. We know that the first command is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. But the second command is just as great as the first, and that is we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Friends, we have no trouble in loving ourselves. We do have trouble, however, with loving others. As we talk about closest neighbor love, I really want you ladies to take some time to think about how you are using your energy to show love to others around you, perhaps people that are outside of your home, people that you work with, people who are inside the walls of your local church body. Now, if you are showing kindness and love to them, you are putting their needs above your own. You're loving them as you love yourself. Great. That's so wonderful. I'm glad to hear this. However, I want to encourage you to take some time to ask yourself the question, if you can show this love to them, but not to the people who are closest to you, those people being 
your husband, your dear spouse, your children, the people that are inside the walls of your home, we see that this is a picture that should not be painted for us. It should really be, well, we should be showing this love to all people, but especially those who are closest to us. I have found that for myself in the past, whenever I was seeking to love my coworkers or the doctors that I was working for, or just complete strangers on the street, as I love myself, loving them as my true neighbors, that it was usually driven from a fear of man perspective, that I feared what they thought about me. And so I wanted to please them rather than please God. And so I had to go through this transition of really asking myself, do I fear God above all else? And if so, it will be a natural response to love people as I love myself. But this won't only be the people who I work with or I work for or under, but most importantly, it will be the people that God has blessed me with that I am surrounded with every single day, those people being my husband, my children, and the people that I see on a regular basis. So the fifth type of love that we'll talk about is love as a manifestation of God's grace. Now, this love is unique in that it's a divine favor bestowed on believers to enable them to live the Christian life. Apart from the Spirit of God dwelling inside of an individual believer, one does not have the capacity to love in this way. This is a divine favor directly from God. It's a result of what God has done on the cross through sending his son to the earth to die which would bring forth the Holy Spirit, the helper, which would be the one who dwells inside of each of us. It's he who empowers us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have actually received. Again, it's nothing we do in and of ourselves. We have to respond by renewing our minds and putting on love, which we'll discuss later. But The result is that God empowers us. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Now, this love is God's unmerited favor on us through Christ. Unmerited meaning that there was nothing that we did to deserve it. He is just a good and gracious, merciful father who wants to have a relationship with his created beings and also God's divine assistance to us through the Holy Spirit, again, God's grace is going to be sufficient for you. You can't do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you. Now, we're going to go ahead and jump into the second biblical principle, which is talking about how selfishness hinders love. The verse that we have laid out for us comes from Philippians chapter 2 verses three and four, and it reads, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. We talked about how we are called to deny ourselves. This is not a natural response. What is natural is for us to seek our own needs to be met. Look around. We live in a self-absorbed culture. Maybe you've fallen prey to it. I will confess I have spent way too much time on the internet lately. It seems that after I've worked a shift at the hospital, which is far and few between, but I've picked up more shifts lately, I come home and for whatever reason, I just want to mindlessly scroll and I find myself wasting my life looking at material that is not doing anything for me aside from making me feel bad about myself or making me jealous of how someone else is living their life 
and how I'm living mine. And it's ridiculousness. And so these derive from selfish ambitions. I'm thinking about my own needs rather than following the biblical call to deny myself and to focus on the needs of others. The other verse that we focus on when we think about selfishness and how we are to set that aside and to put on love is from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It reads, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Now, this verse specifically is addressing the spiritual gifts that have been given to the body of Christ and how each individual member has a unique gift that is to edify the body of believers, to encourage the body of believers. And so it's telling us to be devoted to one another. Once again, stop thinking so much about yourself. Saturate yourself with the people of God. Serve them, love them, encourage them in the way that God has created you and equipped you through the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you. And in turn, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be encouraged through using the gifts that God has given you. Also, we know that in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it states, love does not seek its own way. This was the Bible verse that my son had to memorize for school today. And so I repeated it multiple times shortly after he had woke up in preparation to teach it to him. Love does not envy. It is not self-seeking. And I thought, wow, thank you, Lord. I'm going to be talking about this directly today. And whenever I am teaching my kids a scripture for them to memorize, well, of course, I want them to be able to effectively go to school, stand before their teacher, say the memory verse. But even greater than that, I want them to have an understanding of what this means. And so I do my best to take the text and to simplify it in a way that an eight-year-old boy can apply it to his life. I said, buddy, this means that you're not just thinking about what you're going to do today, playing your video games when you get off the school bus, or what you are going to play at recess today. But rather, think about how you can bless someone around you and see how that actually encourages you because love is not self-seeking. But once again, the natural human response is for us to seek our own needs to be met. But we have to set those aside and ask the Holy Spirit to empower us as we obey God's word, seeking to do good to others. Now, ladies, if we are basing love on romance and feelings, this is self-seeking at its finest. Physical lust is rampant all around us. Just turn on the television. Watch shows like The Bachelor or any Hallmark movie for that matter, and you're going to see that it's all based on this emotional love. But if you recall, when you first perhaps met your spouse, you had these emotional feelings, this great, strong attraction to this other individual. And then you got married and maybe the feelings were still there. And then you began to bring forth children. And before you know it, you are like, wow, wait a minute. I'm living in this house with a complete stranger. Have we fallen out of love? Because I don't feel like I did when we first got married or when we first met and were dating. This is a selfish view of what love is. And we need to replace those thoughts with truth. So 1 Corinthians 13, 6 tells us love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Martha says that anytime someone has a philosophy of life that is based on my needs, their self, they are likely to fall into, tra- into the trap of being unloving, selfish, vain, or proud. She says, consider the apostle Paul or the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither one had their needs to be loved by everyone met, yet they continued to show love to God and to others. Their focus was on what God 
wanted them to do. That was their joy and hence their satisfaction. Now, in a prior episode, we talked about common idols that we may be putting in place of God himself. Idols, meaning that we're fashioning a God into our own image, and when that image does not come forth as we think it should, well, then we're going to seek out false saviors in place of Jesus, who is the true righteous savior who came to save us, and we're putting those false saviors above him. These false idols could be that you're wanting to be treated fairly, that you're wanting to always have your husband's approval, that you're wanting to always come to an agreement, that you're seeking romance and excitement. Maybe you're desiring to have a Christian husband or you're desiring to have a Christian family. None of these are bad motives, but it's when these become an idol in our heart over having God and desiring God's will for our lives rather than what we want for our lives. It will make it easier for you to repent also if you stay away from provisions of the flesh. If you know that there are certain situations that you're going to walk into that are going to make you feel selfish and feel as if your needs are not being met, for example, You get on Instagram and you see all of these beautiful videos of these husbands dancing around the kitchen with their wives and preparing these fancy outings for them. You are idolizing romance over the biblical call to love your husband, setting aside your own needs and seeking not your own happiness but rather to do good to those that God has set in your place. Now, the third principle that we're going to talk about is how bitterness hinders love. We know that selfishness hinders love, but bitterness also hinders love. And Martha spends a great amount of time dealing with bitterness. And so I'm going to go through and talk about nine different common signs of bitterness. And I'm basically going to read these in their entirety because I think that we all can find that at least one of these is sneaking up on us in our lives. So common sign of bitterness, number one, gossip and slander. Ladies, do you find that your days are full of gossip and slandering? others, specifically your husband. I want to give you an example. When I was a new nurse and I was working at a small office, I worked with two other nurses regularly. I sat right next to them and we would talk about our families and what we had planned for the weekend. Well, I was preparing to get married and I was very ignorant. I really didn't have very many role models to show me what it looked like to have a healthy marriage. I love my parents dearly. However, they both have been married and divorced a couple different times. And so I didn't really know what it looked like to be in a loving Christ-centered marriage. I also was not a Christian at the time, so I was not in God's word. I was not following his ways. And so I would come to work and I would simply talk about these little things that were bothering me about my soon-to-be husband. And these ladies, they fed off of it. And they would actually encourage me to, well, uh, you shouldn't put up with that. You need to tell him that this is going to happen rather than this. And uh, are you sure that you want to get married? If this is such a big issue now, oh, it will just cascade into even a greater problem once you guys are married. And so eventually I found myself going to my husband. And, and again, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I said, I have to tell you something. I have went to work many days to just vent about little things that we're dealing with. And I'm finding that I can't, I can't tell these ladies these things and I'm so sorry. And I want to work through these issues with you. And 
and this is actually ruining my relationship with you because their thoughts are really starting to get to me. And my husband was obviously very offended. He wanted me to no longer work at this place because he thought that these ladies were going to cause us to either call off the wedding or eventually get divorced. And I did eventually stop working at this place of employment. I would soon give my life to Christ and I would dive into God's word and I would see that I had this great call to love my husband. And I was to put off gossip, slander, any unwholesome talk. That was one of the first Bible verses that I ever memorized from the book of Ephesians, where it tells us as believers in Christ that we are to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. I don't do this perfectly. There are times that I fall prey into gossiping and slandering, and I have to repent. And perhaps the person that I'm doing the gossiping and slandering with, I have to tell them, this is enough. We can't, we cannot talk like this. We are not doing this person any service by speaking in this manner. So I want you ladies to know that what Martha says is that in the process of complaining, the wife gossips about him and slanders her husband, thereby defiling others. She has either nothing or very little that is good to say about him. If you are doing this right now and you are a Christian, whether you're going to your mom and you're complaining about your spouse or one of your siblings or your girlfriend, or like me, you were running off to work and you were complaining about your husband to the people that you work with. Most of the people that you're complaining to, they don't care about your marriage. They just enjoy the gossip. It gives them something to focus on, perhaps rather than their own lives and their own areas that they should be working on. Now, if you are dealing with gossip and slander, may I suggest that you find a good biblical counselor that you can go to and maybe they can actually speak truth to you so that you can change those thoughts of slander into rightful thinking, which we'll discuss later on as well. So the second sign of bitterness is having an ungrateful heart and constantly complaining. The wife is not grateful to her husband. She murmurs to herself and complains to others about him. This also can kind of go along with gossip. But what we see is with this is that you're just never quite content with your husband. You have nothing good to say about him because you're always finding his faults. The third common sign of bitterness is that you have motives of judgment. So whatever he does is suspect in your eyes. Even if he does something nice, you may think that his motives must be off. For example, he only did that to look good to his parents. I know it seems like a nice gesture, but he didn't really mean it. Okay, this is definitely a sign of bitterness, ladies. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it reads, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Rather than seeking to be this detective, rather seek to love your spouse in the way that God is calling you to. Maybe he does have wrong motives, but your motives can be focused on Christ. Number four, sign of bitterness is being self-centered. The wife spends a lot of time thinking about herself. She is very self-absorbed. Her focus is fixed on herself and the hurts done against her. We really do become what we spend our time focusing on. We have to set our minds on things above, not things of this world. And if we're constant, really, constantly replaying in our minds a wrong done to us, well, it's going to be very hard for us to forgive that person. And bitterness is going to grow up in our hearts. In Philippians 2.4, it reads, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. We have to refrain from being so self-absorbed and rather focus on the needs of others. Number five, excessive sorrow. 
grief and hurt has crowded out any joy, peace, or love that she used to have, it has in fact filled up her heart and it may at times overwhelm her. John 16, 6 reads, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus was talking to his disciples right before he was going to depart, to go to be with the Father. He was telling them that it's far better for me to leave than for me to stay because in me going, it will bring forth the helper, the Holy Spirit. You had me in the world. Greater than that is the fact that I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to direct you. And so we cannot be people of excessive sorrow if we believe that Christ died on our behalf and that he's dwelling inside of us and that he's empowering us, well, then any sorrow that we have of the world will seem so insignificant to that. And so we can't let our hearts be crowded with this sorrow. We need to rather replace it with the joy and peace and love that comes through Christ. A sixth sign of bitterness is having a vengeful heart. The wife looks for ways to avoid her husband. Perhaps she leaves when he is home, pouts, or gives him the cold shoulder. She is paying him back for what he has done to her. Ladies, Romans 12, 17, and 19 tells us, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own personal revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Again, this is totally contrary to our normal human instincts, but we're not human anymore, right? Well, yeah, we are. We're still living in the flesh, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. He will help us to repay evil with a blessing instead. And so if you have a vengeful heart, you are indeed bitter and you need to repent and ask God to help you. Number seven, brooding. The wife broods about what her husband has done. She thinks about it often and plays it over and over in her mind. This goes along with excessive sorrow. However, 1 Corinthians 13.5 tells us that love does not take into account a wrong suffered. The worst thing that we can do after we have been hurt by someone is to sit and just replay it over and over in our minds. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to store it there and to remind that person that, well, I'm not going to fully trust you because of what you have done, but I do, however, choose to forgive you and I'm going to move forward with pursuing love in our relationship rather than just sitting around if you say, well, I've forgiven you, but I, I haven't forgotten. Okay, ladies, you are truly just replaying what they've done over and over. There is nothing that your husbands have done that you truly cannot forgive them for. Martha uses this beautiful picture that is laid out for us in the book of Matthew. And it's talking about whenever a slave man has been forgiven a debt by his owner. In Matthew 18, 35, it tells us that this man was forgiven, but then this man had a debt owed to him by a slave underneath him. And instead of showing mercy to that slave, he insisted that he pay him back and that he receive what was due to him. And this is a picture for us as believers. We have had this great debt forgiven in that we deserve to die, but Jesus died on our behalf. And so we received forgiveness. And so we are to extend that forgiveness to those around us. This will have to be the supernatural work of God. We won't do this in our own strength. But if you are ladies who are just sitting around thinking about the wrongs that you have suffered, you're not showing forgiveness. You're actually holding them in contempt. And we are not called to do that. Number eight is loss of joy. Now, maybe you've thought, well, I have really mastered all of these other aspects. I, I don't let bitterness swell up in me through gossiping about my husband and complaining about him. Maybe you've, you've been in situations where you have done this and you've seen how deadly it could be to your marriage. Maybe you truly do think about the needs of your husband and you're putting himself before 
putting him before yourself. And maybe you do take every thought captive and you don't just sit and dwell on the things that your husband's done. But if your life is lacking joy, you are also falling into the trap of bitterness. Ladies, this is me a good majority of my days. I hate to say this out loud, but it's the truth. I don't fully embrace all that there is for me as a believer on this side of eternity because, well, we can at times fall into this legalistic mindset. If we're doing these deeds and we are loving our husbands as we love ourselves, that's great, but we should be joy-filled individuals. And oftentimes, I just find that I'm doing things because I have to, rather than thinking about it from the thought process of, I get to, and seeing it as I'm giving a blessing. And so this is going to really take some time for us to reprogram our thoughts so that eventually our thoughts and our motives will lead to godly action, the action being that you are joyful. No, your circumstances do not define your joy. Your joy is found in the person of Jesus. Psalm 119.47 reads, And I shall delight in thy commandments, which I love. If you're obeying God's commandments, you're being empowered by the Spirit, great. But our minds need to acknowledge how great these commandments are. And we need to learn to love them and to find joy in them. Number nine, the last one, the sign of bitterness is a critical judgmental attitude. It is difficult for the wife to take her focus off of what her husband has done wrong and focus instead on what she is doing wrong. And Martha quotes scripture found in Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite, First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, if your husband has hurt you, we should really think about um, the hurt from the perspective of, well, how much are you holding him accountable? Is he 80% responsible for the guilt that you're holding onto, and then you have a 20% guilty conscience over the fact that your relationship is not where it should be. And so we're actually called to take 100% of the responsibility as we deal with the bitterness that we're harvesting. This doesn't mean that our husbands are going to change, but our mindsets are going to change, which means our hearts are going to change, which means that ultimately our actions are going to reflect that change that's taking place as we resume 100% responsibility with dealing with our own bitterness. The fourth principle that we're going to discuss today is how fear hinders love. So selfishness hinders love, bitterness hinders love, fear also hinders love. As I had mentioned earlier, when we come to chapter 19, we're going to look at fear more specifically, getting into the root of what fear is and how we can combat it with God's word. But today, we're just going to briefly talk about the fact that as wives, we may be afraid that, number one, we don't get our own way. We may live in fear because our husbands are um, naturally angry men They may be alcoholics. Their temper may be unknown from day to day, depending on how much they're drinking. And so either way, our feelings of fear can make it very difficult for us to love our husbands. And so the biblical key to overcoming fear is to trust God and to love our husbands. The Bible repeatedly tells us to fear not The fears that we may have on a day-to-day basis could be extensive, but the fear of not getting your way or the fear of your husband in general because of his actions toward you can be overcome with trusting the Lord. 
In Psalm 27, one through three, it reads, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamped against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. As we meditate upon the person of Christ and upon his word, the Bible tells us, do not fear the one who can destroy the body, but rather fear the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. This is God creator. And so if we fear him above all, whom shall we fear? Principle number five, the wife is to put on love. And we're going to look now more specifically at the verses found in 1 Corinthians 13. They are verses four through seven. Now, if you've been to a wedding recently or any time over a period of time, you probably have seen people have these verses read at their ceremony. And so they can be known as the wedding vows per se, but these scriptures are so much greater than just applying them to a marriage. We're going to apply them to a marriage because, well, this is a book about marriage and about how we as wives are to live according to God's word. But we know that these verses apply to all of our relationships with all people. And so for us to put on love, we're going to have to go to God's word to see what it says. So number one, love is patient. Love is patient. And for us to truly become patient people, we're going to have to practice, practice, practice. And we can thank the Lord that he gives us plenty of opportunities to practice patience. We cannot just say, Lord, make me patient. No, that's not how he works. He gives us the opportunity to look to him for the strength that we need to model the patience in the situations that we're walking through. And so we would do well to memorize scripture, to have available to us whenever we find ourselves becoming impatient in difficult circumstances. James 1.19 tells us that we are to be quick to listen, quick to listen when people are talking to us, whether that be your husband, your children, your coworkers, your boss, we're to be quick to listen to them. However, we're also to be slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In order for us to put on love, to put on patience, we have to be quick to listen to those around us but slow to let anything come out of our mouths if it's going to be unrighteous in what we say. Number two, love is kind. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so as we seek to put on kindness, we look to Jesus as our model. Being kind is a key to creating the proper atmosphere in the home. Kindness is shown when we have a gentle tone of voice and we have kind acts being demonstrated. Kindness draws people to us, whereas criticism and harshness pushes them away. Number three, putting on love. Love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. To be jealous is to have the fear of someone or something taking our place. It could be a valid concern, Martha says, or it could be a vain imagination. It could be something that we've just plotted up in our minds that is so far-fetched out in right field that it's just absurd. Either way, to be jealous is to be self-focused and self-concerned. Instead, a wife can show love by being glad for her husband when he's in certain situations. And we should seek to not show jealousy, but rather love by responding in a biblical manner instead of a hysterical fear and with jealousy. Number four, love does not brag. Love does not boast. The Greek word for brag means to talk conceitedly. Conceit 
is an excessive application of one's own worth. Many times wives boast about their husbands and their relationships. They try to make things look better than they are. They take their husbands for granted, thinking they deserve all the nice things their husbands do for them. There may be an underlying belief that a wife deserves more. Instead, God wants her boasting to be done in the Lord. Number five, love is not arrogant. An arrogant heart is full of self-importance. Arrogant and know-it-all is how she acts when she is prideful. A wife who is prideful is likely to hurt her husband deeply. Instead of arrogance, a wife should be a humble servant to her husband and to others. Listen carefully to his opinion and consider the possibility that she may be wrong or misinformed. Number six, love does not act unbecomingly. The wife acts unbecomingly or rudely when she is disrespectful and not submissive to her husband. When she is disrespectful, she shames her husband. A loving wife acts properly and in a manner that is fitting. She does not respond based on her mood. Number seven, love does not seek its own way. We spend a lot of time talking about selfishness, but again, selfishness is a common problem that pastors and marriage counselors encounter. A wife can show love to her husband by giving in to his wishes as long as he's not asking her to sin. She should be more concerned with what she does for him than what he does for her. A stubborn, selfish wife provokes her husband to frustration and discouragement. Instead, she should consider him to be more important than herself and not seek her own way. Number eight, Love is not provoked. Showing love means that a wife controls herself even under very difficult circumstances. The sad fact is that wives are sometimes irritated and provoked even when the circumstances are not especially difficult. A wife shows love by having the godly character quality of self-control. Nine, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. We really hit on this, ladies. A wife shows love by not holding on to bitterness but rather by forgiving, by not bringing up the past to her husband and not replaying bitter thoughts to herself in her mind. Catching herself and correcting her thoughts are a tremendous way to show love. Number 10, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. A loving wife is one who not only deals properly with the sin in her life, but also does not entice, influence, or provoke her husband to sin. She tells him the truth. One of the byproducts of being righteous is that she is at the same time showing love. Another way she can show love to her husband is by stimulating him to love and good deeds through encouraging him and, in, and supporting him to be godly and to do godly deeds. Number 11, love bears all things. Love bears all things. Bearing all things includes times when her husband is being selfish or when she is having a tough time at work. She is committed to him and he knows it. Loving involves sacrifice of self and it is important to remember that if she must suffer, it should be for doing what is right. And 12, love believes all things. Biblical love paints the other person in the best possible light. In other words, the wife shows love to her husband by believing the best instead of assuming the worst about what he says or what he does of his motives. When at times the worst is a fact, then a wife is to order her life and her goals by faith and not by sight. In other words, no matter what her husband has done, a godly loving wife trusts in God's sovereign care over her marriage. 13, Love hopes all things. Every Christian wife's hope is based on Jesus Christ, and in him she will not be disappointed. Her hope is a confident expectation, not just wishful thinking. Her hope is rooted in the eternal king of glory, the all-powerful creator of the universe, who will eventually bring it to pass. An outgrowth of her hope in God is hope that her husband will become more and more godly if he is a Christian, and perhaps be saved if he is not. And 14, our last and final one to address, love endures all things. This wife sees trials and pressures as coming into her life for a special opportunity to become more like the Lord Jesus. 
She does not usually enjoy those difficult times, but she does endure them with God's help. She shows love like Jesus did when he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did he do it? For the joy that was set before him. Likewise, a wife can choose to show love to her God and to her husband as she righteously endures trials and pressures in her marriage. She can tell herself, this is especially difficult, but with God's grace, I can endure. Martha really encourages you ladies to memorize these scriptures found in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And she wants you to realize, as do I, as we seek to put on love, that this is not going to happen automatically. We have so many natural reflexes that come forth through our words and our actions. We have to be intentional. Let's go to God's word. Let's seek to memorize it, storing it in our hearts so that we can counteract lies with truth. And as we practice and put on love, these will become natural instincts, natural reflexes that will be visible to all those around us. Let us seek to put on love from the way God calls us to, not in the way that culture tries to make us believe. Ladies, I'm so glad that you joined me today as we went through week nine, talking about love, the wife's choice. So much we took into today. So much wonderful material in Martha's book, The Excellent Wife. I do hope and I do pray that you really take time to reflect upon the verses found in 1 Corinthians 13 and that you will do an evaluation of my life where you may be holding on to bitterness so that you can put off these wrongful thoughts and motives and to truly desire to put on love. Until next time, I hope that you have a blessed week and I'll talk to you soon.